Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. All right, saints, wanted to talk about say it aloud, speak it forth. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 20 and 21, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 20 and 21. So we do see that the words of our mouth, which the Bible speaks so much about, there's extensive real estate and scripture given to this topic. But yet, what is the motive of our heart? in speaking forth the truth of God. I believe it all begins, everything in our personal life with Christ, with understanding that God sent his only begotten son for us to save us, that we might know him. Notice John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this he's speaking in prayer to the father. And he says, this is life eternal. Here it is. Here's the whole reason for eternal life, that they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3. I want you to commit that to memory and continually meditate on and hold as a cornerstone truth in your life as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, these words of Jesus on record in John 17, 3. Because you see, this shows us that God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins, to bring us back to him from a fallen state in order that we might know him. Notice that they might know thee. This is a chief purpose for which God sent his only begotten son, that we might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou has sent. Whenever our relationship with the Lord becomes anything outside of having a relationship with him on his terms, then we are bound to go into error, not only in doctrine, but in the way we see God and we see the world and we navigate through it. Remember, again, Jesus came to die so that we could have a relationship with him and the Father. We're temples of the Holy Spirit who will always bring attention to and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said in John 16, 13, and 14. So with that cornerstone truth in mind, let's take a look at what many today take out of context and misuse it for their own self-serving purposes, not rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection in Christ, not rooted in the cross life, which God calls us to. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. Now, many today take this out of context, and they take it out of the immediate context of this chapter, Proverbs 18, but also in the context of all of Scripture. Confession, make no mistake, confession or confessing is biblical. The problem comes when the crossless false teachers of our day use this truth 
to their own self-serving agenda and also to teach others to do the same. So we've got a lot of folks that they're basically new agers. They've been saved, possibly, and yet they're living out a new age walk instead of a walk with Christ, who calls us to come and die so that we can dine. Only one letter separates the two. Jesus said, come and dine to his apostles. But first, he says, come to die. If you're going to follow him, Jesus says you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Many today are using God's word to get things from him for their own selfish lust. Instead of confessing the essential cross into their lives, which is an original gospel imperative, it's, it's an essential, and out of which posture, spiritual, by faith, worship-filled posture, the Lord raises us up. The only positive affirmation the true disciple wishes to declare is positively stating Holy Scripture in its context. Not only its immediate context, but its whole biblical context. Those who fear the Lord dare not attempt to use his words in vain against him in order to procure to themselves things for personal gain. You see, when the Bible talks about prosperity, it's not primarily about money, although the false teachers always make it about money because, as Peter foretold, they are making merchandise of you. But if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you know that prosperity and success are defined differently by God than they are by the world. In fact, Jesus said, those things which are highly esteemed in the eyes in the minds of men are an abomination to the Lord. That's Luke chapter 16, verse 15. So a biblical confession would be something like, Dear Lord, you created me to know you and to love and worship you. I want to know you more, Lord Jesus. Help me please to know you more. Make me one with you and the Father as you prayed in Jesus' name. I got to tell you, friends, if we'll start praying as Jesus prayed, that as he and the Father are one, that we would be made one with them and and one with one another in that order, there's going to be a life change. God is going to bless you from the inside out when you start prioritizing what he prioritizes. He doesn't prioritize you getting rich. God the Father did not send his only begotten son into the world to make all of his people rich. In fact, Jesus warned against riches many times, including in like Mark, I think it is, or Matthew 10, 23 and 25. How hardly, you know, will those who are rich or have riches enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 25, Mark 10, verse 24, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And if you got a bunch of riches, it's easier to trust in them, right? And yet you got people that don't have a lot of riches compared to others, and they still covet and greedily go after them. So they're trusting in them too, or their ability. See, First Timothy 6, they that will be rich, doesn't even say that those that are rich, those that covet to have this world's riches will pierce themselves through with many sorrows, including eternal damnation. Ephesians 5 says, a covetous man who is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Remember the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not covet. When you're coveting the things of this world, it's because you're not content. You're not rooted. You're not one with Christ and the Father because you've chosen to go after and lust after the things of this temporal fleeting world. So this is Mark 10, 23 through 25. Let me read it. And Jesus looked around about and saith unto who? His disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? So 
it seems to me that Jesus is saying that the percentage of those that have a lot of money in this world that are going to go to heaven are, is even less than the average person. How hardly? And Jesus already told us in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, that only a few entered therein down the straight gate and the narrow way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. But broad is the gate and wide is the gate that leads to eternal destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And he's speaking here and warning us. Mark 10, 23 and 24. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have, notice the specific wording here, have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches? to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, everybody that has a lot of money does not trust in them. How do we know that? Let's qualify this via a broad perspective of all of Scripture. That's why it's so important that you study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole disciple. In 1 Timothy 6, the apostle Paul addresses rich men that are Christians. He didn't tell them you're going to hell because you're rich. No, he just said you need to be quick to give. You need to communicate. Communicate meaning to share with others. If you look up that word, that King James word, what does he say here exactly? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, all right, let's take a look at verse. I tell you what, let me say this before we go into this little passage in 1 Timothy 6. How does this relate to confession? Well, most of you already know that those who are teaching people to confess things over their life are teaching them to confess scripture used out of context for their own self-serving purposes, the purpose of the wolf and his prey to greedily run greedily after the riches of this world. So this goes hand in hand. Okay, so look at verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, not only now, but forever. Notice the word contentment. We've got some posts on this word. Look up content or contentment in the search box on safeguardyoursoul.com, and you'll find some rich biblical studies on this that will greatly edify, help you grow in grace, and bless you in Christ. But godliness with contentment. Are you content? Anybody who's lusting after and unsettled because they don't have the bigger house, the bigger car, or the a better wardrobe or whatever it may be is not content. Okay, you're covetous. There's two C words in the Bible, covetousness or covetous and content contentment. You're either content or you're covetous. If you're covetous, you are not content because you're not praising God that everything in your life is according to his timing and his will and that you have everything that he wants you to have right now and you have everything because you have him. You have Christ. Christ is the sum total of all the real riches that I have or you have. What do I have of Christ? beloved. That is the equivalent to exactly the riches that I have. And that is everything because he made all it is. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus speaks about those that are rich in this world compared to those that are rich toward God. In fact, we just finished a post. I want you to look this one up because this one is a barn burner. It was actually recorded a few years ago in a home Bible study at my place. It's called, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And one of the brothers you're going to hear in there is a beautiful brother named Rusty, longtime friend. He could not be more precious. 
I'm going to tell you that. And that man knows the word of God. And again, the title is a scripture. It's verbatim. Thou fool. Just look up thou fool, two words, in the search box. It'll come up. It's an audio. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Jesus was speaking of a covetous, greedy, rich man on earth. Who, the more he made, the more he built barns, and you know, which equals bigger investments and bank accounts to put his money. Instead of putting it, he hid that money and saved it for himself because he was rich towards self, not rich toward God. And what happened was the Lord said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You must ask yourself in examining yourself today, 2 Corinthians thirteen five. examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Well, brother, I got saved. I go to church. That doesn't mean you're in the faith. That's not a definition of what's in the, of being in the faith. The Bible is a definition of being in the faith. And if you're not rich toward God that if you're not seeking the face of God, you're not hungering and thirsting after Christ's righteousness. You are not being filled with the Lord's presence. You do not have a pure heart. You're not content in Christ. You're not abiding in Christ as he's called you to. You're not becoming being brought into a place of oneness with him and the Father. You're worldly, you're carnal-minded, and you're in trouble. You need to repent and announce to God all of your sins specifically and surrender afresh. Have a come-to-Jesus meeting today. Let's move on through into finishing the little passage here in 1 Timothy 6. But remember, I want you to listen to that. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Just put in thou fool into the search box on Safeguard Your Soul, and it will come up. Verse 6 and 7, 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Anybody who's content is a godly person on his terms. You're not going to know his terms till you read his word. And anybody that's not in his word is misled, period, to one degree or the other. And you've already backslidden. You got time, energy, and the wherewithal to feed yourself, but you don't have any time to feed your spirit with the nutrients of the word of God. That alone tells us you're serving yourself, not the Savior. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain, let me say it again, I'm just reading the Bible. It is certain that we can carry nothing out of it. That's why Jesus told us to lay up treasure. He said, lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust does corrupt. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is there, there will your heart be also. That's Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Verse 8, 1 Timothy 6, and having food and raiment, that's it, just food and raiment, let us be there with content. Now, I want you to meditate on this passage and pour over it prayerfully, saints, and let it get it. The true disciple of Christ does not run from Scripture that convicts him. He runs to it and cries out to God as he reads it. See, he's a surrendered vessel to the Savior. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Having what? Just food and rent. Man, if you got food to eat, something to drink, and your body is clothed, you can be content. And if somebody listening is in a place of brokenness and destitution, that's probably because the Lord is stripping you. He's going to take care of you. And I can tell you by experience, extensive experience in this, that he is going to take care of you. He is going to take care of you. I remember living out of my vehicle and out of my office, literally. Wow. It went on for a while, at least many months. I 
can't remember now, but, and then taking a shower at the gym, you know, and I tell you what, I was happy in the Lord. I'm learning to submit to whatever season he brings me into and through. He's going to bring you through. That's for sure. So if we become thankful in those seasons of less in the house of mourning, God's going to find us faithful. He's testing us to see if we're going to love him above all things. Habakkuk. I love that little passage in the back of the beautiful book of Habakkuk. Here it is, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, actually, 3, beginning in verse 17, he says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, crops fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. All your cows die, amen, or something like that. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice, the prophet says, in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places The chief, to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. So we see Habakkuk, the servant of the Lord, no matter whether he had a lot or little, he learned to be content, just like our brother, the apostle Paul. In the book of Philippians, we see where Epaphroditus had helped to supply a brother named Epaphroditus, one of the rich men, I guess, it looks like in that assembly and also the church itself, the people at large helped Paul. It helped supply him in the work of the Lord. And therefore, they became fellow helpers of the truth, as he said in another place. What a privilege. What an opportunity we have here. Then he says in verse 11, Philippians 4, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And saints, if you'll read the book of 2 Corinthians afresh, you will see, I believe it's chapter 6 and maybe 11 and 12, where Paul gives resumes of the things he suffered. And one of those things was he was destitute, man. He was destitute at times. But he learned to be therewith to be content. And then in verse 12, Philippians 4, I know both how to be abased, that means humbled, destitute, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's interesting, the context of that verse, and that would go, I believe we could use that verse for everything, that I I can do all things through Christ. He's the one strengthening me. In this context, it's whether I have a lot in this world or nothing, a little or a lot. It's Christ that's strengthening me. Then he says in verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Do we realize that Jesus allowed people to give into his ministry? Of course we do. He had a treasurer, so somebody had to be given into that ministry. Paul is the same way, and we should be the same way. If we're called to ministry, let people give. You're going to block their blessing. That's how the kingdom of God works. Jesus himself said some of the only red words in the book of Acts. It is more blessed to give than to receive, Acts 20, 35. Paul says here, not because I desire a gift. Man, I'm not just trying to get money from you. No, man. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So we never want to do anything to hinder people obeying Jesus by laying up treasure in heaven. And when you give to supply a believer, a saint that needs help, or a true original gospel ministry, you are laying up treasure in heaven. And notice this, but I desire desire fruit that may abound to your what? Your account. I caught that one day and I was like, 
Are you serious? See, you and I are familiar with our bank accounts on earth, right? Now, don't you realize you got an account in heaven? When you look at your bank account on earth, what do you want to see? You want to see like a lot of zeros. You want to see a big old, you know, amount, right? You should. I mean, that's just normal, you know. What do you want in heaven? What do you have in heaven? Maybe we should start directing this into glory and know that the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And he gives us insight in here, right here, and this goes directly with what Jesus taught. When he taught in Matthew 6, we quoted earlier about laying up treasure in heaven. He's talking about your account in glory, beloved. That's your eternal account that can never be diminished, but you got to build it. Everybody's account is not the same in heaven. What is your eternal wealth going to be? Jesus taught where to use the temporal riches of this world to lay up treasure in heaven, put them to work for us, every resource we can in Luke 16. Notice verse 19. Well, let's read verse 18. Philippians 4, but I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus. How many people like that name? Maybe somebody out there can name their next child Epaphroditus. I'm kidding, but go for it. Maybe you can call him Epap. So Epaphroditus, Paul says, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you in odor or of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, what's the context of that verse? Speaking of context, we're getting ready to bounce back to confession. What's the context? But my God shall supply all your need. Who's he talking to? Those who gave. The law of reciprocity is reality. It really is. Paul says that doesn't mean money's coming back to you and, you know, by 30, 60, 100 fold. But Paul talked about, you know, when you give, it's a seed. Second Corinthians chapter nine. I'm not talking about the seed faith heresy of the word of faith movement. And this is on the same topic. Jesus and Paul are teaching here in Philippians four and second Corinthians nine. He says, he that sows uh, sparingly will reap sparingly. He that sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And here, these Philippian believers were sowing, they were helping out of the love of God in them, the Apostle Paul in his ministry and in his life, and therefore he promised them that God is going to supply all of their needs, specifically in context, those giving, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And you know, those are infinite riches, both now and forever. Now, bouncing back to confession. Remember, again, we are created to know and love and have a relationship with the Lord. And you know, the Pharisees searched the scriptures, but they didn't search for Christ. They wouldn't come to him. And that's what you got people doing today when they simply use the scriptures without a relationship and separated from and detached from a relationship with Christ. And that's when you end up in heresy and you not only are misled yourself, you're misleading others. Paul talked about those who are deceiving and being deceived. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, they that have a mere form of godliness. They do have a form of godliness. And that's what I'd think that that would be the classification of those who use God's word to get stuff for themselves. You see, they're not declaring the cross in their life. And we're going to get into that specifically in a minute about the fact that Paul declared that. He said, I am crucified with Christ. David, the psalmist said, I will declare my iniquities. Amen. I will be sorry for my sins. See, he confessed that he was going to be honest, humble, broken, repentant believer. I'm not going to hide him. I'm going to declare them. I will be sorry for my sin. Wow. That's a confession that glorifies God. It's the confession of holy writ and blessing them with the word of God. Thank you for helping. Thank you for praying. And we love you. God bless you. 
Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.